Welcome to Native Yoga Toddcast. So happy you are here. My goal with this channel is to bring inspirational speakers to the mic in the field of yoga, massage, body work, and beyond. Follow us at Native Yoga and check us out at nativeyogacenter.com. All right, let's begin. Hello, hello, welcome. If it's your first time tuning in to Native Yoga Toddcast, I welcome you and I'm so happy you're here. And for those of you that are repeat listeners, you're the best. Thank you. Love you. Thank you for all your support. I'm stoked because today we have conversation with Sean Gray. And Sean's a yoga teacher in Los Angeles, California. And I have a good friend, Sean Spencer, who introduced me to him. And, you know, I really enjoyed this conversation. We get a chance to talk about the heart, yoga, union, community, bringing people together, working through our divisiveness so that ultimately we can enjoy the prosperity that's available for us. So it's a really great insightful conversation. I'm excited for you to listen. Please check Sean out on his website, which is seangrayyoga.com, spelled S-E-A-N-G-R-A-Y-Y-O-G-A.com. He also has an online platform that you can practice with him uh, via an online community, which is called vistaraflow.com, spelled V-I-S-T-A-R-A. F-L-O-W.com. You can, of course, find them on Instagram at Sean Gray Yoga and on Facebook at Sean Gray Yoga. The links will be below to make it easy for you to click on. All right. Well, there's no time like the present. Here we go. Welcome, Sean. How are you doing today? I'm doing well, Pat. Thank you. How are you? I'm doing really well. Thank you. I, I'm appreciative of my friend Sean Spencer who introduced you to me and I'm very thankful for you taking time out of your day to converse with me. I really appreciate it. I've, I've been looking forward to this opportunity for a while. I enjoyed the email conversations that we've had leading up to here and I'm just excited that I, I get a chance to actually talk to you now. <laughs> yeah, I, uh, I'm excited as well. I like what you're doing over there. I, you know, I had a chance, you know, from the connection that Sean Spencer had made uh, I had a chance to look at your website and look at what you're doing. And I, I really appreciate what um, you and your family are providing for the community there in Florida. It looks, it looks wonderful. I love that you are, you know, your family teaches at the studio. I love that uh, there's also massage at the studio and you also do a lot of kids yoga. I've, I've too done a lot of work with kids and yoga and i think it's uh it's very honorable what you guys are doing so oh. the the pleasure is all mine thank you sean i really appreciate that so that i can have a chance to get to know you and also our listeners as well i'll start at the beginning uh where, where do you live i live in los angeles nice California. nice and where were you born and raised I am a born and raised californian nice uh i was actually born in the bay area in Vallejo and only lived there for the first almost year of my life. So I remember it, you know, 
none at all. <laughs> uh, and then, and then we moved down to Santa Monica and from there, uh, we bounced around a little bit. You know, I was raised by a single mother. So, uh, we were a, a little nomadic, but mm-hmm. Santa Monica was always the home base because that's where my grandmother lived. Nice. And so we would always come back to Santa Monica and then, uh, I came back to Santa Monica in my early adulthood and have been here ever since. That's amazing. I love that area. It's so beautiful there. Yeah, it, it, it truly is. It's, uh, you know, I love the ocean. I love the mountains. And um, we really have the best of both worlds with that. That's really cool. Uh, what was your first introduction to yoga? At what age were you when you took your first class or met somebody who started talking to you about yoga? Well, um, you know, I had been hearing about yoga for several years before I took my first class. Mm. Uh, you know, in Santa Monica at the time, yoga started to really, uh, gain momentum. Yeah. Uh, you know, this is, you know, this is 20, it's probably 23 years ago. Yeah. when I started to hear about yoga. And at the time, I was, you know, I've always been active. Uh, I was, you know, I would go to the gym. I was doing triathlons. Uh, so I was running a lot, swimming a lot, riding my bike. Uh, I'm also an avid surfer. I've been surfing since I was a kid. So Great. I've been, I do that as well. And I started to hear about yoga. And even my girlfriend at the time was going to, classes of, you know, uh, in Santa Monica and I always resisted it. I, you know, I had huge resistance to the practice. Uh, I didn't want to do it. I liked what I was doing and that was good enough for me. Yeah. Um, but I walked into my very first yoga class at the age of 25. Nice. And I hated every moment of it. Uh, it was, uh, uh st- it started, was really hard. <laughs> starting with the incense yeah. at the door or, uh, <laughs> well, no, it wasn't, it wasn't, uh, it wasn't like that. Although I probably would have appreciated that. I come from a, a, a rather, um, you know, um, I, you know, for a lack of a better way of putting it at the moment, a fairly hippie ish family, you know, yeah, um, yeah. Yeah. Not super hippie, but hippie enough <laughs> to where, where incense were already a part of my household. All right, gotcha. Um, yeah. But no, my first yoga class was at Gold's Gym, believe it or not. Okay, yeah. And, and so, you know, cause that's the gym that I worked out at. I was yeah. going to Gold's Gym in Venice and, um, I reluctantly walked into my first yoga class and, uh, couldn't stand it. Um, vowed I would never do that again. And then found myself going back, uh, as we all do. Um, yes. You know, probably a, a month or two later, it took a couple of months for me to build up the courage to go back and have my ego, you know, chopped off at the knees <laughs> again. And uh, do you think it, that's do you think that's what it was that you disliked the most? Was the was it because it felt painful to you to stretch? Because obviously, if you're first of all, like when you mentioned Venice Beach and working out at a Gold's Gym, I'll never forget going to like Muscle Beach down in that area, and you know, just being amazed at seeing everybody work out on the beach and the level of you know skill and strength and coordination. And so, I'm I'm curious, what aspect of it were you? Do you think really 
made you feel that like, oh, I didn't like that? It was all ego, Todd. Yeah. All ego. All right. Um, Fair enough. You know, I was 25 yeah. and strong and active and yeah. confident to the point of probably overconfident. <laughs> yeah. And, um, you know, I, you know, what was difficult for me and, um, was, you know, the fact that I was doing everything that I could and still getting my butt kicked <laughs> while the, while the 50 year old lady next to me was <sighs> smiling, yeah. you know? And I was like, what the hell is going on? Like, this is, <laughs> this, this can't be, I'm strong, you know, I'm young yeah. and I should be able to do all these things. And it was like, I couldn't. Yeah. Um, I love so it. it was, it was, all, it was all ego for me, but it was, you know, yeah. And, you know, cause I can handle, you know, I, I'm very, I can handle uh, a pretty uh, extreme amount of discomfort. I've always been able to do that, but it's, uh, yeah, it was all emotional for me. Yeah. And, you know, I, I joke around in my classes sometimes because the hip openers, when we would get to hip openers, oh man, the, the things that I would say to and about the teachers in my head <laughs> during, <laughs> during hip openers. Like, I joke around and I, I tell my classes that if the, if the teachers had heard me saying what I was saying in my head, they would have asked me not to ever come back. Um, so yeah, it was, you know, it's funny to me now. Um, and as we continue to talk about, you know, my past, I'm sure we'll get into why I started teaching, but it, that resistance played a large role in everything for me. You know, it mm. was, I, I resisted the practice tremendously and, you know, it wasn't long after, I mean, it was probably maybe a year, year and a half of practicing, you know, it took me probably five to six months to, to say, okay, I'm going to do this. Yeah. Um, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm going to do it at least once or twice a week. And I still enjoyed my, my regular exercise routine, but there was something to the yoga practice that was more than that. And I, I started to understand that yeah. and to observe the resistance that I was experiencing was kind of proof that this was the direction that I needed to move into. Um, and then about, I don't know, I would say two years later, I started you know, I was at Gold Gym still, and I realized I'm like, why don't I venture out and start taking other other people's classes? You yeah. know, I'm living in Santa Monica. There's, you know, you couldn't throw a rock and not hit two <laughs> yoga studios in yeah. Santa Monica. So I started going to different yoga studios, and I started to go. To, I went to Yoga Works. I went to Power Yoga. I went to Exhale, and that's when I realized that man, I was in a very special place uh, geographically and chronologically to really experience such great practices because, you know, and I always um, related it to being able to live in like Boston, for example, mm -hmm. and being able to go to all the different, any different Ivy league professor I wanted to. Mm -hmm. That's how I felt. Santa Monica was at the time because there was great teachers and you could just walk into any studio and take their class. And 
so I started doing that and that's when my practice really started to grow and, and expand. And I, you know, I remember the moment I was hooked. I, there was a, a big studio here called Exhale. I know they have one in New York as well, yeah. but Exhale, they also had a spa, a day spa. It was at a different location, but this Exhale yoga studio, it had, it had, uh, teachers like Annie Carpenter. It had Shiva Ray. Max Strom and Sean Korn. And this is just to name a few, but the teachers, the caliber of teachers was so high. Yeah. And I started going there every once in a while, but then I found out they had a 30 day like promotion for 30 days. You can get unlimited yoga and mm. unlimited spa use mm. for $50. Nice. Yeah. So you and could get body, body work galore and take all those yoga classes. Yep. Wow. For $50. What? That almost and sounds so, like... Yeah. yeah it I've heard it of sounds it. Like, <laughs> uh, yeah. And so I jumped on it. Yeah. And I committed to going every day. And I'll, I'll admit, I went. I didn't go every day. I went, but I went 28 out of 30 days. Yeah. And, I, and what I would do is I was working nights at the time. And... What I would do is I would go to the, I would go to the studio, I would take a class, and then I would go to the spa, and they had a great spa. I mean, it had an, a eucalyptus steam bath, which is like my absolute favorite. And I would go to the spa, and then go home, get ready for work, and go to work. Nice. And at the end of that 30 days, I remember walking out of the studio, and it hit me that this is what I was going to do. Yeah. Uh, I didn't, I didn't know I was going to be a teacher because I resisted actually becoming a teacher. But at that moment I was like, Oh, this is what I'm going to be doing because I realized that it's not only getting into my body, what I loved about that and uh, as well as uh, everything else, but getting into the body in a different way. I was not only getting stronger, but I was getting flexible at the same time. I was also getting more grounded I was becoming more present, um, but it also gave me the ability and time to practice a meditate a meditation as mm -hmm. well and mm -hmm. do some shadow work. Because at that time in my life, I was already looking at how I could holistically change and develop as uh, as a being. So I knew that if I were to Develop holistically. I needed to work the physical body. I needed to work my emotional body. I needed to work my cognitive. And I also needed to work on the shadow. And so I was already starting to take on different practices of those different, those different areas. And, but I didn't have enough time. Mm. You know, in, in order, if, you, if I was going to go to the gym and then come home and meditate and then journal and then work on my gratitude list and tell the people that whom I was grateful for and that I love that I love them. I'm like, okay, that's, that's four hours in my day. <laughs> Easy. Yeah. Right there. Yeah. <laughs> right, yeah. And the practice gave me the opportunity to do all of that in 90 minutes, you know, and you know, cause that's when all classes were 90 minutes. Yeah. There was like Good the point. 60 minute class was, wasn't happening yep. yet. Um, Sean, so I, I get to do I don't want to interrupt you, but I, can you explain shadow work or can you give us a little more insight on, on what your definition of that is? Oh, for sure. Uh, so diving into our shadow, the, it's, 
it's basically the sub and um, unconscious mind. So, you know, I happen to believe that we all have a shadow that conducts itself in harmful ways. Um, you know, it, it expresses itself through us in times of fear and times of anger and times mm. of sadness, uh, at least for me. Yeah. And, you know, everybody's shadow has their own way and time of expression. Hmm. But for me, it really, you know, especially in a lot of fear and anger is when it would come up. Hmm. So basically for me, the shadow would express itself in, in ways to where I always felt I needed to apologize afterwards. Hmm. <laughs> so if I, you know, if, if I reacted in a harsh way, typically that comes from a shadow. Hmm. Uh, because when we, when, when we don't, react in harsh way when we come from a place of light and a place of love that is awareness. So the shadow is basically, once again, from my perspective, is the opposite or the balance end of love and awareness and consciousness. It's unconscious and subconscious. Yes. And so when we cultivate light, when we bring awareness in, when we bring more love in it's usually into the shadow that I find it is it's most effective. You know, it's, it's in those moments when it truly counts. You know, I always like to think of it, you know, I think of our, our mind. And so the conscious subconscious and unconscious, almost like a house. I like to relate to it as a house. Mm. And if you've got this really big house, but you live alone in this house. You know, you have your rooms. You have your living room. You have your kitchen. You have your bedroom. And that's basically it. That's your conscious mind. That's the rooms that you are conscious of. You know exactly where everything is because you placed it there. Yes. In your subconscious mind, maybe some other rooms in the house that, that you open the door, you walk by your room, and you can see through the door sometimes. So you kind of know what's in there, but not all the time. And then there are the unconscious areas of the mind, which is really where the, the shadow exists. And when we go into those rooms, when we have the courage and the awareness to go into these unconscious dark rooms, we bring the light. Because the light of consciousness and of love is truly the only way that we can heal these areas of darkness and of shadow within mm. ourselves. Great, great so, analogy. Wow, that was great. <laughs> Good explanation. Yeah, you know, Good explanation. I like that. Uh, thanks. You know, it's, you know, cause I've lived in a house. So right before I moved back to Santa Monica, I was 22 years old. I lived for six years actually in Boise, Idaho. Mm. And um, my mom moved us up there when I was 16 and I lived there till I was 22. And I, as soon as I could, I came back to Santa Monica uh, because I thought about surfing every single day I was gone. <laughs> I bet. And yeah, every day, every day. I mean, the snowboarding was awesome. I got to hit the snow and the hills a lot, but I love surfing. And so that ultimately is what brought me back to, to Santa Monica. But right before I moved back to Santa Monica, I moved out of the house that I was living in into my girlfriend's house at the time. Her and her roommate had just moved into this house that had a beta, like a, a bi-level. So in Boise, they have bi-level houses. So you walk into a house and there's the one floor 
and there's a second floor, but it's underneath the first floor. Mm. So it's a bi-level house. That makes sense. Nobody ever went into this bi-level house. (laughs) And nobody ever went down there. And I I knew why. I moved my stuff in. I was only there for like a week before I came back to California. I moved my stuff in, and my basketball fell down these stairs. And all the way down, I watched it. There was like this, this uh, support beam in the middle of the stairs at the bottom of the stairwell, which is like, you know, it's a whole other floor. So what is that? 15 to 20 stairs? Yeah. Something like that. Yeah. I saw my basketball bounce all the way down <laughs> and I saw it go to the left of this support beam. And I was like, okay, I'm going to get that later. I was unloading my stuff from my car. And so uh, like maybe a half an hour, hour later, I go, to get my basketball and I'm walking down and there's my basketball in the middle of the stairs. What? Sitting on one of the stairs. Oh dude. I know right, right away as you're, as you're painting this picture, I'm like every horror movie I've seen, you know, brings me to this scene. You know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, it, it, I mean, I'm <laughs> talking about it again. Anna. I mean, Todd, it was maybe one of the scariest things I'd ever seen in my life. <laughs> like, what? Uh, yeah, because this was an old house. I mean, this was a house built, you know, in the turn of the 19th century. Yeah. So the stairs, the stairs were really tall and not long at all. I mean, you know, half of my foot. Yeah. There. And so here was my basketball sitting on the stair halfway up, just sitting there. I mean, my wow. heart started racing. Right. And so I decided... And so, oh, so first of all, I grab the basketball and I run back up <laughs> and I go to work and I, after work, after work, I met up with my girlfriend and her roommate and we start talking about this weird vibe that we're getting in the house. Yeah. Like there's this really strange vibe. And once again, they had just moved into the house as well. And the next morning we wake up and all of the pictures on the fireplace mantle had been knocked off. What? Yeah. All of the pictures had been knocked off. All right. The roommate was walking into the house. Everybody always used, so this house had a driveway that wrapped around to the back of the house. Yeah. So everybody would just park in towards the back of the house and walk in through the kitchen door. That's how everybody entered the house. Yeah. Well, the roommate, her name is Darcy, decided to go into the, through the front door one day like that next morning yeah. and she's going in through the front door. She's having trouble with the lock. She can't get the lock open. She's working on it, working on it, finally gets it open, walks through the door and the light fixture that was standing, that was above the doorway and the front porch, which is like this huge metal kind of chandelier thing. Like it was gnarly. Yeah. It fell right behind her. Oh my gosh. Like you, you nailed it. It's like, horror movie stuff. Yeah. And so we, we get together that night again and we're up to, we're telling our stories. Oh, we found the pictures all down. Oh, the, the light fixture fell right behind her. And so I decided the next day that I was going to go down and burn some sage throughout the entire under level of this house. Yeah. Uh, as I mentioned in our emails, I'm about a third native American. Yes. And I'm very closely connected to that side of my heritage. When I lived in Boise, I started powwowing. I started going to powwows. I was a powwow dancer. I was the second lead singer in a Sioux drum group. Nice. And so I, I got really into it. I was doing sweat lodges and meeting with like these 
spiritual leaders from the Sundance community and really dove wow. into it. Yeah. Wow. So I decided to go down and clear out the, that under level of the house. And it looked like there was cobwebs in there that must have been decades old. Nobody had gone down there in decades. I mean, I know why it was scary as hell. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> and you wanted to make sure you could actually climb the stairs. It sounded like kind of brutal. <laughs> yeah. Oh man. No, it was, it was just a scary situation to make a long story short. I saged the entire under level and I was scared. My heart was pounding the whole time, all the while singing a song that I knew. And then I go upstairs, go to work, do my thing. After work, I meet up with my girlfriend and Darcy. We have dinner. And they mentioned, I didn't, I didn't tell them that I had saged the house. And they said, you know, it feels so much better in the house today. I don't know mm. what it is, but it feels so much better. And I say, oh, I forgot to tell you. I burned sage in the by level. And it's a perfect example of bringing light of bringing consciousness, of bringing love into these dark shadow areas that have never seen the light of day. Because there were cobwebs down there. There were, there was energy down there that was really dark. And just by bringing in light, because all I did was bring some sage and I sang a song and it automatically made everything feel a lot better. Mm. So that's another way that I always like to remember the importance and value of shadow work. Um, That's a really cool distinction or analogy too between the physical spaces and then the interior spaces because it definitely gets my imagination going in terms of, you know, what rooms do I have within that I haven't, that I don't even know about. And that's, mm -hmm. that's some important work right there. So I, I love that idea of, you know, f- focusing on an external spaces like in our homes and in our maybe even relationships, but also that interior mm-hmm. interior space. It also made me think too when you started talking about the shadow and shadow self. And then if I stand outside and at the certain angle of the sun and see my shadow, versus if the sun is vertical above, maybe it's harder to see the shadow. And, and that analogy of like the more direct light that's coming down, the less shadow there is. Versus if it's coming from the side, which not that that means anything, but I just started seeing my shadow. <laughs> yeah, no, you were it's talking a great way to look it. at it. <laughs> yeah, that's, no, it's, and it's, go ahead. That's amazing. And, and then you also mentioned, uh, you reminded me that it's Native American Heritage Month this, this month. And so I appreciated you mentioning that to me. And I, I, when you just mentioned Sundance, can you, I had a friend who, who got, semi-close to a community that was doing the Sundance and he relayed to me what that entailed and what it involved and I it really opened my eyes how intense of a ceremony that is. Can you yeah. can you explain any of those details to our listeners? So just to give us a little insight into what that whole ceremony is about. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Welcome to the Alchemy of Natural Healing. I'm your host, Laurel Dewey. True healing is an alchemical process, meaning it must transform you on all levels, body, mind, and spirit. What affects one affects all three. True healing is one of the hardest journeys you'll ever travel, but it's one of the most rewarding and fulfilling when you get to meet yourself for the first time. If you're ready to take that journey, 
Let's get started. Yeah, I, you know, first of all, I, I have never Sundance. Um, I know a bit about it. It's very, you know, the, the Sundance is held close to the chest. Um, it's, it was one of the last ceremonies that was practiced, uh, before the fall of the Native American society. Mm-hmm. Um, it is very intense, but with like most ceremonies, um, if not all, it kind of needs to be intense, especially if we're looking at even what the yoga sutras say that our practice is to be intense. Mm. Um, because if it's not intense, we don't really get to the core of it. We don't really get to our own center. Um, before I talk about what little I know of the Sundance, because once again, it's really held close to the chest. And quite honestly, it's, it's intended to be that way because it's not necessarily meant to be spoken about all okay, that much. I understand. Um, but the vision quest, that's another ceremony that at least a lot of people have heard. Um, the vision quest is also very intense. Mm-hmm. Uh, a traditional vision quest is practiced in the woods by yourself with no food and no water for as many days as you can do it. Wow. And the reason why that happens and the reason why it's practiced this way is because it's only when we bring ourselves to that edge of life and death do we truly see the gift and value of life itself. Mm. And so when the vision quest was taken, it was sometimes to learn what your name is, to learn what your path is, or all of the above. Mm. So Sundance was also another really intense ceremony because it was intended to give the people answers Mm. on what they can do to sustain their culture and their family Mm. because at the time they were being annihilated and there was when Sundance came around it was almost like a last chance last ditch effort to save their people Um, because you know, the, the destruction of the Native American society was brutal in so many ways because it wasn't just, you know, I'm going to say, I'm just going to call it the white man. <laughs> it wasn't just the white man that was taking out all of the natives. And I don't mean that in a derogatory way. Yes. It's just, you know, because I'm actually more Caucasian than I am Native American. I understand. But, yeah to the natives at the time, it wasn't just from the settlers and the Europeans coming over that were a part of the destruction. It was also, it also came from within. Um, It also came from within other Native Americans and not just tribe versus tribe. It was 
even within individual tribes, mm. there started to become separation. Mm. And actually, this is leading me to a very, very important um, topic, I want to say, is this separation. Mm. So what, what started happening is even within a tribe, there were people that wanted to stick to the traditional way. And then there were others that wanted to adopt this new way because they started to see value in it. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, they, they started to be influenced by the, you know, they were being influenced by the different, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, you know, they were looking, they were getting gold. They had never, they had never known what the value of gold was before. They were getting paid money. They were getting paid, you know, guns and alcohol. And so they started to, to have all these different influences that started to put a split even between individual tribes. Mm. And so that became a huge part of the, destruction of the civilization. And so the Sundance was brought on to hold on to tradition, to keep it alive Mm -hmm. because the native Americans felt that that's how they were going to be able to sustain themselves as a people and their families, but was by holding on to the traditions and it just, it started to crumble within because of this divide that was being separated. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. you know, last night in my class, uh, so first of all, in my, in, in my classes, I always set intention. And last night's intention was to look at not only the definition of the word yoga, which I'm sure you and a lot of your listeners know what it is. One of the definitions is to unite, union. Yes. And I also, so I looked at that definition of the word yoga as well as one of the aspects of the anahata, the heart chakra, which is union as well. So how the importance of union is within our practice. And then I also brought in the other element of the anahata, the heart chakra, which is love. So typically as humans, the best way for us to become one, to unite with something, is to love it. So how can we cultivate love mm-hmm. within our practice mm-hmm. to unite what we have put separation on? You know, because in this class last night, I was saying how we all these different connections. So the yoga practice is designed to unite all these different aspects of the self so that we can become whole so that we can become fully realized. Mm. And so in order to do that, we bring in love so that we can love the different aspects of ourselves. More importantly, what we just touched upon, the shadow. The shadow is the hardest part of us to love. It's the part that we judge. It's the part that causes the most havoc in our lives. So it's really hard to love it. But only through love can we become one with it. And then from there we can transcend it. We can include it and then we can transcend it. And then it becomes a part of us. Instead of it being our challenge, Mm -hmm. it is now our strength. Mm -hmm. 
And so the Sundance was designed to bring the people, to unify the people again under tradition, under love, mm. so that they can be whole and sustained. Because they knew even then that it was this separation, that it was this divide mm. within the people that was going to be the end of them. Wow. And, you know, it's, uh, it's a big topic because, you know, uh, sadly, we're still kind of in this mode of separation, yeah. you know, yep. and yep. it's everywhere, you know, yep. but, you know, as, as I also spoke about last night in my class, you have to look at what we're born with in order to realize what our practices are to be. So I always think that our life and our practices are about the ironies. Mm. So looking at the ironies for our practice. So we were born into duality, right? We were, there's man and woman, there's East Coast, there's West Coast, <laughs> there's red, yeah. there's blue, there's left and right. There's all these different dualities yes. that we are born into. And what the yoga practice offers us is the opportunity to unify. And that's what we do. And, and you know, I'm just going to look at man and woman for now. So you're married, I'm married. We became one with the other side of the human species. So with love, we took on our partners from another person. It doesn't necessarily have to be man and woman in order to have love. As a matter of fact, it doesn't have to at all because we are designed. Let me, let me rephrase that. We are intended mm. and to love all, you know, yeah. all yeah. of the great sages and all of the great spiritual leaders have always said unconditional love is why we are here. With that said, it's also the hardest thing in the world to do. Mm. But we have done that by loving another person so that we can become one with them. Yeah. And so this unification can spread out to everything and all things. You know, you know, and what I find interesting about unconditional love is it brings up what are those conditions? Because once again, let's look at our ironies. Yeah. What are the conditions that we have and we place upon our love? And, you know, before, before I had children, I didn't think unconditional love was possible. Mm. I, I became a father at a very young age. I had a child at 18. And um, at that point, I realized what unconditional love is. Yeah, that's, because a, that's here, a big one, isn't it? The, the moment that they yeah. come out and come into the world, there, there's something that happens. You're right, you can't put words on it, but something shifts. <laughs> Yeah, you yeah. really can. Something yeah. sh shifts within you, and yeah. all of a sudden, here's this little being that you love with all of your heart, conditions aside. Because up until that point, I had conditions on all of my love relationships, mm. even the one with my mother. You yeah. know, my mom couldn't talk to me this way, especially, especially in front of my friends. Yeah. If you talk to me in this way in front of my friends, <laughs> I am going to be mad at you. <laughs> And, you know, and which are all conditions. Yeah. And then I started to look at that. I'm like, okay, why do we place conditions on our love relationships? I'm like, oh, it's to protect ourselves. Mm. 
Mm. We place these conditions on ourselves or on our relationships to protect ourselves. Okay. Protect ourselves from what? From harm. Okay. Mm. Well, if you love unconditionally, you give up the fear of being harmed. Good point. And so, therefore, once you give up the condition that you place there to protect yourself, you no longer need it because you're not afraid to be harmed. You know, I have, you know, I've had two daughters and my second one really taught me a lot more. You know, once again, I had my first when I was 18 and then I had my second daughter 20 years later. Yeah. at 38 and what my second daughter her name was sequoia my first daughter was jasmine sequoia really taught me that unconditional love is it's actually not only not fearing being harmed but actually loving them so much that it doesn't matter mm-hmm. you know i remember having a conversation with a, a friend of mine about unconditional love and you know, they said, well, are you afraid that she'll love somebody more than you? And I said, no, I hope that she does. Yeah. I hope yeah. that her love is so expansive that she can love other people more than she loves me. Because the true gift of love is in the giving of it. It's not the receiving of it. Yeah. Receiving of it, yeah, that feels awesome. Yeah. But I have found... The true gift is having an outlet to give it. Well said. Because when we can give it, that's when we embody it. We can only embody, or we can only give what we embody. And so the practice is all about embodying all of these different sides of the self so that we can give it and share it you know that's that that is a really great way to get at the heart of yoga in terms of if somebody is studying pictures of yoga poses and you know feeling maybe the pull to practice because of the interesting what it looks like looks so interesting but what you're speaking of seems to be what is really of, of, of the most importance, which then we get into that idea of that, like what the pose looks like probably doesn't really have too much to do with finding unconditional love. Do you, do you see a connection between, I'm going to go over there and say the word like perfection in a yoga pose, which I know that's kind of, I mean, maybe we'll get that myth out of the way here in a second, but, how do you relate uh, uh, discovering unconditional love in a yoga practice and the asana world? That's a good question um, and a very important one. You know, because you're you know you're you're touching upon something that a lot of people hold value in, and that is in the aesthetics of the postures. Yeah, when we take on asana, you know, we're looking at form We're you know, we spend our entire lives taking on an outside perspective of ourselves. And that 
tends to be the case for a lot of people, myself included, for many years of my practice. Me too. Until we realized, <laughs> yeah, yeah, until yeah. we realized it's really about the internal perspective. Mm. So the reason why I think we take asana, because, you know, first of all, all of these different asana that we have today haven't been around forever. You know, yes, the yoga practice has been around, has been around for thousands of years. But up until a few hundred, like a couple of hundred years ago, it was kept to a very small group of people that they were born into this family, into this caste. It was, it was a priestly caste that you had to be born into in order to have a yoga practice. Now, I've been to India and I've been to the caves outside of Rishikesh in the foothills of the Himalayas where the yogis did their practices. We only have developed these different asana in the last couple of hundred years because of the need for them. Mm. Up until then, the yoga practice was just padmasana mm. and all the internal practices. Mm. We need these different types of asana because of all of the different stresses that we place upon ourselves in today's world. Mm. The Indian body is very open. If you go to India and you go to a yoga class, the Indian body is very open. The Western body, on the other hand, is not. We're very tight. We have so much tension balled up in us. We need all these different asana to open ourselves up so that we can bring that light of consciousness and of love into those areas of shadow within mm. our bodies. Mm. That's why we have backbends and inversions and twists and hip openers and shoulder openers and forward folds. And that's why we have all of those different types of poses. And so then we can get into those different areas of the body because those different er each area of the body is connected to a different part of the psyche. A lot of us, and it's very common to hear and know that the hip openers are, are connected to our emotion. And that's very true. Mm. But each area of the body is connected to a different part of the psyche which is why in a full, well-rounded, balanced asana practice, you do all of the different types so that you can take a look at these different areas of the psyche and see exactly what's going on, mm. to see how we react, which is a gift and the benefit of the breath. If we can bring awareness to our breath, how we are breathing, the rhythm, when it stops, when we shorten it, when we're holding it, we can learn so much about ourselves if we can pay attention to what asana we're in, what type of asana we're in, what experience we're having within it, and then the breath will tell us what's going on, and that's when we can start to do our shadow work. Because mm -hmm. that's exactly what we're doing, is we're cracking ourselves open so that we can observe how we react in these types of moments. And it's when we take our practice internally, you know, long answer to your question, when we can move our practice from observing the outward appearance of it to taking it to the inner landscape and how it moves within us, that's when we truly start to cultivate this love. Because if we don't cultivate this love for these different areas of the self, we're just going to we're just going to keep bottling it up. We're yeah. just going to keep bottling yeah. up this frustration yeah. or anger or fear 
or even hatred or whatever these, these hard, heavy emotions are, if we continue to bottle them up, we're going to have an explosion. As we've seen in the past, as most of us have actually seen within ourselves, yeah. if we bottle this stuff up, it explodes. So the yoga practice gives us the opportunity to gently release the pressure. It's like uh, cooking with a pressure cooker. You have to gently release it before you open it. Yeah, because if you open it when the pressure's on, <laughs> you're gonna, you're, that's going to be a... That's going to be very dangerous uh, for <laughs> you and the household. Um, but if you, and that's very symbolic with this emotional pressure that we can build up. Yeah. If we just crack it open or allow it to explode, it can be dangerous for ourselves and those around us. Mm, but the that. yoga practice gives us the space to slowly open it, slowly get in there, bring just a little bit of love and light into these dark rooms within. So then we don't have these big eruptions that can really be life-changing, life-altering for not just ourselves, but those people around us. That's, a, that's awesome, Sean. That's such a great way of explaining the purpose of yoga and, and, and the way of, of uh, helping it cultivate it to go deeper. I'm, I'm, and, that's not, and that's not to put aside uh, the Anamaya Kosha, you know, the physical body the physical aspect of the practice. I am not putting that down at all because, you know, the, the koshas are a different aspect of the practice. And as I'm sure you know, and even probably most of your listeners know, the koshas or layers within the being are all connected. The Anamaya kosha, the, the, the physical body, is the most external layer. And it gives us the access to reach into these more internal layers. And so... I don't put the physical aspect of the practice down at all. I don't put any type of practice down at all. You want to go practice in a room that's 115 degrees? Go do that. As long as you're getting on your mat. Like, just yeah. get on the mat. Yeah. If all you're concerned about is the physical aspect of the practice, fine. Yeah. Keep doing that. Because yeah. eventually it's going to change. Yeah. It's, it will change. So I don't put down the physical aspect, people's need to look at perfection because once again, if you look at the irony, that will eventually become their greatest lesson. In relation to the koshas and we work our way from the physical body up to maybe, uh, I'll say the ideal or something that we potentially all strive toward, the anandamaya kosha, the bliss body. Is there a experience you've had recently where you've, tapped into the bliss body? Uh, every time my daughter laughs. Every time she laughs. Is that what, yeah, yeah, that's sweet. You know. Um, <laughs> yeah. Good answer. You know. Good answer. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> nice. Yeah. You, yeah. I, I, I have been, <laughs> I, I have definitely had moments where the Ananda Maya Kosha has come its light has come to the surface. Um, that's for sure. Um, I, I, I tend to, you know, be a fairly emotional person. And are you, are you a water sign? I am a water sign. I'm a Pisces. The Pisces. <laughs> and uh, well, um, do you mind if I ask what year you were born? 76. Nice. And yeah, uh, 76. In, in relation to being in the water and being in the ocean, I'm curious. Um, I, I, I love surfing as well. And when I lived in Southern California, I, I just 
that was just such a great experience to my favorite spot was to go in Del Mar and between at Swami's and Encinitas. And I didn't surf a lot in the LA area, but I also noticed I tried to go to places where there weren't many people in the water. And I'm the same way here, like at Juno Pier, when there's waves, it gets so crowded. And sometimes I'm with the amount of people, I, I just want to be kind of off by myself somewhere. Even if the waves are horrible, closing out, I'd rather just have a real quick drop and just either get slammed or, or go straight into the beach. But just just to have that kind of solitary experience. And I'm just curious, how are you in the water with people? And I know, in, I know there's crowds there. Do you love being around people? Do you like to encourage them? Do you try to go out where you're alone? What is your experience lately with, with surfing? With surfing, I definitely prefer to be alone. Um, I actually don't like to go surfing with my friends either. Uh, not that I don't love my friends. I love my friends very much. But uh, I, like, I like to be alone. Um, now, with that said... <laughs> There's pretty much no good surf spots in LA, in <laughs> California, and basically in the entire world where you're not going to have other people around. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I like to use it as an opportunity to find that, that space within. Um, you know, it's like the yoga practice. You know, in LA, you know, there'll be, you'll be, practicing yoga and there'll be a car coming by that's bumping its stereo, honking its horn, people yelling, phones going off, all the different types of distractions that may appear within your practice. Mm. It's an opportunity. You know, I've had people say, well, can you, can you, can you have them turn that down? Or mm. whose phone is that? And people can get upset. And like, it's just an opportunity yeah. to practice Good point. finding that solitude within yep. to finding that peace in my internal space. And so lately I've been going to a spot in Manhattan beach called El Porto. Cause it's just closest to the house that I live in now yeah. with my family. It's really close, but it's packed. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I go, I go as, as soon as this, I go before the sun comes up so I can kind of beat the crowd as much as possible, yeah. but it's still packed, especially on waves when on days when the waves are really good. Yeah. But I just use that opportunity just like the practice, you know, yeah, it would be awesome if we practiced on the mountainside and there was a waterfall behind us and there was no other people and no traffic sounds and no city sounds or city lights or any of that going on. But we all, we all chose to live in a city or wherever people have chosen to live. We've yeah. chosen to live there. Yeah. I have chosen to go to this surf spot. So instead of trying to make my environment perfect for my needs and my mm, desires, yeah. I make my internal environment how I need it to be because ultimately that's the only one I can truly affect. And, and when it comes to surfing with other people, it's just like practicing with other people as well. You know, our vibe, our energy, can it does affect those around us. And so if we want to be given, you know, as a teacher, you can understand that we teach because we want to give and share our experience with those around us in hopes that it will help them find their practice and their peace and their groundedness and their love and their heart 
and their connection and their unity and their all the things. We hope that we, when we share our, when we share space with these people, that it does affect them, and it does. So when I go surfing, I, I'm as, you know, I'm in as good a vibe as I can conjure that moment. <laughs> I'm waving at people. I'm smiling. I'm calling them into waves if I can't catch it. And if somebody cuts me off, so be it. You know, that's just that's their karma, not mine. Yeah. And I just keep going on. And, you know, that's really helped me surfing uh, in exotic places because I always, I like to travel and surf. I've, yeah. I've surfed all over the world. So it's, um, it's really helped me because truly that's ultimately what we want to have out there. It's this peaceful, loving experience with nature, with the ocean, with whomever else may be there. And yeah, so if, if we bring that vibe with us, fantastic right and you know we're doing it's it's being of service to those around us and you know there's you know i like to surf good waves um i would rather surf a b-class wave by myself than an a-class wave with other people but you know there's there's just there's people everywhere you go you know you go try to catch a wave anywhere there's going to be people there so it's about learning how to be you in mm. this moment mm. and not allow the outside influences to affect you. And yeah, if I don't get as many waves, okay. You know, but if we're looking at it from a giving perspective, we're given the, the opportunity for others to share that same space that we enjoy so much. Good, good so, point, Sean. Good point. I was seeing so many different parallels there between the yoga practice and the surfing practice. It's awesome. I'm, I'm super, yeah, there's lots of parallels. <laughs> there is, isn't there? I'm super curious about your thoughts. I know we both scheduled in to have an hour, and time has been flying by so fast. I'm like, dang, it, I have all these other questions I want to ask. So I might have to, <laughs> I might have to schedule a part two with you at some point because I'm really, yeah, enjoying, yeah. I'm really enjoying listening to you speak. I'm, I, I am curious. Uh, you know, the COVID experience has been just a real amazing journey. How are you feeling about it these days? Do you, you know, I, I would think that you'd apply the same philosophy, like just cultivate a positive internal environment and go with the flow with what's happening in the external and I can move through anything. No problem. What, how has your journey been with that in terms of resistance to like needing to adjust your teaching groups and then pulling back and travel and everything. What, what are your thoughts on all this? Yeah, it's, you know, it's been challenging. Um, yeah. But you're absolutely right. You know, I, I have found an internal space that I love and I carry that with me no matter what. So personally speaking, this time has been awesome. <laughs> I know there are people that have, that have suffered some tragic events and, you know, my heart goes out to those who have. Personally, I love being at home. I love being with my family. Um, and so it's really given us the opportunity to truly ground into ourselves and one another. Mm. It has changed my teaching, obviously. Uh, you know, it's funny enough is 
I left, I left all of my public classes mm-hmm. in October, the end of September of 2019. So just before, oh, wow. a couple months before COVID hit, wow. I left all my public classes. Mm. I needed, I was teaching, I had a full schedule at Yoga Works and I just started to feel a disconnect between the the company and I didn't feel like I was in alignment with them any longer. Mm. And so I, I left and I left the studio and I went to Nepal for a month and I led a yoga meditation and yoga retreat through the Himalayas. And my wife and I went for a month and while I was there, I really gave myself the space to figure out what was going to be next for me. Yeah. I had already been developing an online platform. I had already built uh, or I had already started like conceptualizing it. Uh, I had filmed some classes and, you know, really started to play in that space yeah. um, before I had gone to the Himalayas. And while I was in the mountains, I realized that that's what I was going to do. I was going to come back and dive into the online practice. And so I did. I came back in November and I built a new website for myself and then I built a new website for an online platform and I started filming all the classes that I could. And right when COVID hit, I was literally crossing the T's, dotting the I's, smoothing out the rough edges and we got forced to stay home. And all I had to do was press launch. Yeah. Oh my gosh, that couldn't be better timing. I mean, that, that really could not be more fortuitous based on the way everything went. (laughs) Yeah, no, it couldn't. And, and it just, you know, it took off immediately because people needed to practice. Yeah. And Uh, so I still was able to maintain that. That's awesome, Sean. And just so that the listeners, um, are aware that, uh, and the link will be down below if you want to check it out, if, they, if they're driving and listening or something and can't write this down. But SeanGrayYoga.com is your website. And the site that you're speaking of that has the online offerings is the VistaraFlow.com. So I just wanted to mention that so that they can check you out. Awesome. Yeah. Thank you. Uh, there's lots of different teachings on there. You yeah. know, there's Vinyasa Flow. There's all levels of flow classes, one, one, two, 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 three. There's a bunch of tutorials. There's some sound baths. There's meditation. I've got some Kundalini classes on there, restorative practices on there. Uh, there's, a, there's a lot on there. So it's, uh, you know, it's really an opportunity for people to continue with their practice at home, you know, and which is really hard. So I started practicing at home about five years ago. And I practiced Ashtanga. And I started to take my practice part-time at home around five years ago because my daughter started growing and she needed a little bit more time. And I wanted to spend every moment I could uh, with Sequoia, the young one, because what I learned from Jasmine was the time goes by so quickly and it, you, you can't ever get it back. Mm. So I decided to take my practice part-time at home. I was practicing home three times a week and in uh, uh, a shala two times a week. Mm. And then before I knew it, I was practicing 
solely from home. So I, and so I understand how difficult a home practice is, but it's so valuable because once you take on a home practice and you can really keep it going, stay consistent with it, stay committed and consistent, you truly start to own your practice. And good point. There at at that point, you don't necessarily need a studio. A studio is awesome. Don't get me wrong. Like I, I teach in a studio again. Yeah. I'm back at Yoga yeah. Works. Yeah. You know, and you know, having that time away gave me the opportunity to really expand and grow this online presence, and then to be offered a, two more classes at at Yoga Works in Santa Monica after the pandemic was an opportunity for me to even grow further. So I, there is lots of value in studio practice, but there's also value in home practice. Yeah, I agree. And I think that this is, you know, I think uh, uh, at least a part-time home practice, not only is here to stay for a while, I think it, it would benefit people to also take on that home practice. You know, especially if you have little ones. If you've got little ones at home, practice in front of them. It's really hard. They want to distract you. They want to pull your attention and they will, but practice in front of them because then they will see you yeah, so and true. then chances are they'll take on a practice themselves. Good point. You know, fortunately, my six or she's about to be seven tomorrow. It's her seventh birthday. Aww. If she heard me calling her six, she would She'd be, be so, mad. so mad at me. Yeah, yeah. Um, she probably, she probably is going to get close to moving outside of the unicorn and um, rainbow theme. Is she or she still into I, it? <laughs> she's still into it. She's still into it. Awesome. Stays a long yeah. time. I really do because I really <laughs> love that mystical it is fine, side isn't of it? the imagination. Oh yeah, no, it's, I I love all of that. My my daughter's uh, my daughter's eight, and she uh she kind of turned a corner around about seven, where it was like. I don't like unicorns anymore. I'm like, wait, wait a minute. You have a thousand of my stuff down your bed. Like, how could you not like them all of a sudden? And they all just like, now they're in the closet. Yeah. That's yeah. No, I'm, I'm riding that wave as long as I can. Yeah. I'm, yeah no, as long as I can. I love all the, all the unicorns and the stuffed animals and we're taking her to Legoland in a couple of weeks. And nice. Yeah. No, I, I love all of that. So, but she has a practice. She, she does a practice every morning. Yeah. And, you know, my, so my daughter was born with meconium aspiration and um, it caused her to uh, be in the NICU for six weeks and uh, ultimately um, uh, left her with a very minor case of cerebral palsy. Mm. And so we do a yoga practice every morning to keep her body moving and mobile because cerebral palsy is, you know, it tends to tighten things. Mm. So like she, it affects her right side mostly. And it's, it's very minor. Like most people when they see her wouldn't tell, couldn't tell the, like that she's got a minor case of cerebral palsy, yeah. but she does. And so we, like she gets physical therapy once a week, occupational therapy once a week. She does gymnastics once a week. She does yoga practice every morning and she does, Pranayama every morning. Nice. And starting tomorrow, since it's her seventh birthday, and I've been prepping her for this, after <laughs> Pranayama, we're going to start meditation practice. Nice. Because her cerebral palsy has also gifted her with the challenge of seizures. She's had six seizures in her life. Oh, man. I'm sorry to hear that. And the, 
oh, it, you know, it's okay. You know, um, it's, it's her challenge yeah. and yeah. we're here for her. And, yeah. you know, we've learned from them. Uh, the last one that she had was on September 10th. Uh, it had been almost uh, 17 months to the day since she had had her last one. So they're starting to, the, the space between them is starting to expand. But not only that, but this last one that she had only lasted about 90 seconds. She never lost um, responsiveness. Wow. And we were able to take her pranayama practice into real-life circumstances. Mm. And it faded her seizure out. So how her wow. start typically is they start slow. They start with what's called a myoclonic jerk, which is like a jerking motion. And she's awake for that. So they all happen when she's asleep. So she sleeps with one of us. And not both of us. It's one of us, unfortunately. <laughs> I get the, I get this, I get the twin bed. <laughs> yeah. she, mom, mom gets the king size. <laughs> and, uh, um, they start off with these little jokes. So she wakes up beforehand. She, she she has some type of warning that something's going to happen, but she hasn't been able to really dial in what those warnings are yet, but she does wake up beforehand. So she calls me into the room and usually I'll sing her some songs. And typically, which isn't irregular, like she did it the night before last because she's excited about her birthday party. But this time she wasn't able to go back to sleep. And then we were lying there in bed. It was four in the morning. And I, she said something, but it wasn't clear. And so I asked her to repeat herself and she said it again. And my daughter speaks very clearly. So I knew something was going on. Mm. And so I flipped on the light in the bathroom to kind of shine in a, a soft light because what we learned from the previous one, which happened on Easter Sunday of 2020, right in the heart of lockdown and couldn't go to the hospital because at the time, at least the perceived uh, view of hospitals is like death zones. Yeah. Um, we had to pass it at home. So, and so we did, but this last one, um, I flipped on the light and saw that it had started in her jaw and she was starting to get upset. I can see it in her. And so I just reminded her to stay calm. And then I asked her to take some deep breaths with me. And I told her, this is why we do your pranayama. And so I started taking deep breaths with her and within 90 seconds, it went away. Wow. And it never progressed into a full blown seizure. Wow. So that's amazing. That's amazing. It was amazing. That's amazing. It was amazing. Yeah. That's so cool, Sean. Yeah. So it's, you know, it's taking the practice into real life situations. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, the, the stuff works. <laughs> you know, this, this stuff truly works. And I, you know, I'm just such an advocate for it. And I love teaching. I love sharing what I know um, with anybody who's willing to listen. Um, and so, yeah, it's just, yeah, it's just such a, such a trip, this journey called life. Man, it really is. Yeah. I, I yeah. agree with you. I agree. It's it's like a tragic comedy. It's uh it's got a nice blend of tragedy and and, and fun. <laughs> yeah. It's the balance of things. Uh, it's the Sean, balance of things. 
Sean, I'm so appreciative for you to be open to just chatting with me, having never met me or, you know, and, and that takes a lot and that takes an open heart. And I, I appreciate everything you had to say today. And I really am thankful for you sharing and, and explaining things so well. And I, I really hope to get to chance to, I hope the chance to meet you in person and practice with you and, and maybe even do this again someday soon. I really appreciate it. Do you have anything that you would like to close with? You know, as challenging as things get all around us, it's even more important to take the time to move within. Um, you know, and things don't seem to be easing up anytime soon. You know, the, the world is in such uh, of a flux state. And it's very easy for that to be, you know, to, to influence our landscape within and it's all the more reason to get on the mat to take some deep breaths to cultivate love for the self so that we can hopefully share it with others so please keep practicing <laughs> keep yes. doing what you can to ground yourself into your heart and giving yourself the space to share with those around us because we really need to practice right now. We need people to practice. There's this huge divide, um, not only culturally, within our neighborhoods, even within our families. So keep unifying all the parts of yourself so that we can unify and become one with all those around us because the time is now. And uh, it's it couldn't be more valuable than right now and thank you Todd I really appreciate the opportunity to come onto your platform and speak and I would be honored to do it again anytime you just let me know and uh, yeah I, I have a feeling we will meet in person my <laughs> wife has a sister in Florida yeah so we'll we'll be coming out there and I have I'm leading a, nice. a, a virtual teacher training coming up this spring and one of the teachers is in Florida she's yeah. in uh, Sarasota so I'll probably be coming out to Florida I mean who knows when when you know things get a little bit more relaxed um, but it will happen and we'll definitely meet and maybe we'll go for a surf. That would be great. <laughs> and yeah, even, even if it's really small, we'll, we'll body surf. <laughs> I love body surfing. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. So thank you, Todd. I really appreciate it. Thanks, Sean. I can't wait, man. Have a good one. You too. All right. Take care. Bye. Bye. I really hope that you enjoyed listening to some of the insights Sean had to share I fully enjoyed the conversation myself. I love this opportunity to speak with other people in the yoga, body work, and healing profession world. And it gives me great inspiration and motivates me to keep pushing forward and to keep getting on the yoga mat and to be inspired to keep my self-practice, my home practice up, and to see you all in the studio and to see you all online and to just continue to enjoy and share in this amazing world that we have and appreciation for yoga. And so with that being said, remember you can check out Sean at SeanGrayYoga.com. You can check out his online platform at VistaraFlow.com. 
You can find them on the Instagram and Facebook at Sean Gray Yoga. You can find us at nativeyogacenter.com. Shoot me an email at info at nativeyogacenter.com. If you have an idea for a guest that you'd like for me to speak with, please send it my way. I'd love to get some ideas from you. All right, you guys. Thank you. Hope you have a good one. See you next time. Native Yoga Toddcast is produced by myself. The theme music is dreamed up by Bryce Allen. If you like this show, let me know. If there's room for improvement, I want to hear that too. We are curious to know what you think and what you want more of, what I can improve. And if you have ideas for future guests or topics, please send us your thoughts to info at Native Yoga Center. You can find us at nativeyogacenter.com. And hey, if you did like this episode, share it with your friends, rate it and review, and join us next time.